I got a call while I was working out from my publisher. And I remember I had a heart attack. He said, hey, Jason Aldean just cut your song on his record. And going from a guy that had been in town for 10 years with no love, just getting told no for years and years and years and years, and then your first cut is going to be on Jason Aldean's record. I mean, I about lost him. Joining us this week is country songwriter Ben Stennis. Ben has written for numerous artists, including Jason Aldean, Justin Moore, Florida Georgia Line, the list goes on. Ben's break didn't happen all at once. It was a series of steps that led from one accomplishment to the next over 10 years that ultimately gave birth to his success. He joins us to discuss the pursuit of his dreams in Nashville and recognizing progress on this episode of The Big Break. All right, great. So, all right, let's get started. Um, hello, I'm here today with uh, with Ben Stennis. Ben, how are you doing today? Dude, I'm doing good, brother. Thank you for having me on. Oh, no problem. Where are you calling us from? Um, I, I live right outside of Nashville, Tennessee. I work in downtown Nashville on Music Row, but I live about 30 miles outside of town. Oh, right on, right on. Uh, are you from there originally? No, I'm actually from Augusta, Georgia, uh, but I moved to Nashville wow. when I got out of college, gosh, about 20 years ago. Oh, wow. All right, great. Yeah, Nashville's a great town. I've been there many times. Um, a little hot in the summer for me. I'm a Colorado boy, but uh, other than that, I think it's a really great area. Uh, <clears throat> so let me ask you this. Uh, how have you uh, been handling – I just normally we don't talk, start with this, but I'm just always curious with the whole pandemic and everyone staying at home and the different remote uh, situations and whatnot. How have you been managing all of that uh, you know, professionally and you know, maybe even personally if you want to get into it? Like, How have you been able to continue working and writing and things like that? Man, we've been very blessed um, where I live. I have a studio spot that sits behind my house about 50 yards. And so I come down here every day. And when everything hit, our publishers um, said that all of our co-writes were going to go to Zoom and FaceTime and stuff like that. And that was really odd, at least until we started. Like We were all kind of wondering how it was going to work. But honestly, it's been really smooth. Um, uh, you know, We get on every morning about 10 o'clock. And it's honestly caused us as writers to get back on just guitars and write our songs on guitars again. So I'm a producer, writer, or writer, producer, however you want to put it. So a lot of times we'll have a track ready when the writers come in on our normal rights. And so we'll write to that track, which is great. But also sometimes writing to a track can also really limit what you're doing, or at least in our genre can. So this has challenged us as writers to get back on guitars and make it pure again and focus on the lyric and the melody and making sure the content's there and what we're saying needs to be saying. Um, and it's been pretty awesome because we're all on Zoom and we're all really focused and it's been pretty smooth. And it, I think it's going to uh, really change how we go on as doing, uh, doing rights as writers. Um, even with artists out on the road, we usually go out on the road with artists on our tour bus, which is amazing. But now with Zoom being so prevalent and doing it like this, we can just hop on a, a Zoom right without being on the bus with them necessarily and knock out a right in a couple hours and they can go do sound check and all that. And we don't necessarily have to take up space on their bus and they don't necessarily uh, have to be with us all day long. So I think there's some amazing opportunities that are going to come out of this craziness we've had. That's really interesting. It's like 
you you know on one hand there's a challenge right there's a there's a limitation involved but on the other hand there's certain things are easier at the same time and particularly on the challenge side you know uh, i'm not mm-hmm. a songwriter but uh, I'm, a, I'm a writer right I, I was a journalist and things like that and, and when you it's mm-hmm. it's always interesting how when there's certain limitations added to any kind of creative field that almost makes the output better than if you just had complete freedom to do it any way you wanted. I, I swear our publishers like, and this, I've heard this across the board in Nashville, at least um, they're saying they're, that their writers are putting in better songs and turning in better songs. And I didn't think that would happen initially, but I, I feel on our end, the stuff we've been writing. And I don't, I don't mean that. I don't mean to say that arrogantly because when you write, you generally have one to two other co-writers with you. So it's a team effort, but collectively I felt like it's, challenged us to really write better content um and it doesn't mean you have to change the world with every song but if it's going to be a fun tempo song we focus more on the melody if it's going to be something we want to move people we'll spend more time on the lyric because one thing we have in nashville when you write you schedule three months out at a time usually and so if you have a song that you need to tweak or finish you might not be able to get in with that same group of people for three or four weeks but now that we're doing this um by the internet we're like, hey, dude, let's hop on this at nine in the morning. I know you have a ride at 11, but from nine to 11, let's hop on a Zoom real quick and finish the song out. And that's been a huge difference because I feel like our songs are better because now we can we have more time to edit them. And it's not as hard to get the same group of people back together. Uh, the workarounds that you've been doing during the pandemic, what you've been doing out of necessity in terms of the Zoom calls and the and, 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 and whatnot, if, if you think that'll continue after uh, the pandemic is over, because you know now you're doing it on necessity, but you're seeing the value of it, um, and wondering if that will continue when the necessity is over. Man, I I think it will. I just talked to my publisher last week about that. So some people in town are going back to writing together, um, but a still majority of us are going to still be doing it mostly on Zoom. Um, I'm going to keep it that way as much as possible. Now, when an artist is available. Um, I do want to be in the room when they're available and we can meet at my studio on music row. Um, but when they're out or if their schedule doesn't allow and they don't need to, you know, drive 45 minutes into town and it's just easier on your co-writers or the artists you're with. Um, it's such, it's become such a way of life of what we do in writing now, just on, on the internet that I for sure think it's going to stay like that. And it would actually be kind of crazy not to still utilize it because it has made things a good bit easier in my opinion in a lot of areas for writing interesting so uh let's i'm going to come back to all that in a little bit but i want to kind of sure. let's, let's go back a tad bit normally i would start off by asking how you got into music and all that kind of stuff and i'm going to ask you that but first i gotta we, we got to start with the stunt thing oh yeah <laughs> you got to tell yeah. me about all of this explain that part of your background if you could so, man, my whole life, like from the time I was five years old on, if you ask my parents or anybody that knew me, anybody I went to school with, my dream was to move to uh, L.A. and be a stuntman. Um, so that was through college. I even had a, um, a guy that I paid to let me come use his gymnastics facility because they had these really thick pads. And he let me climb up on this tower and drag these pads out there and practice these high falls. And I think the highest we could get probably was like, maybe three stories because then oh. it really hurt when you hit these pads because they weren't great. But dude, he would let me set up. He taught me how to do like backflips and back handsprings and how to tumble and roll because a lot about being a stuntman is kind of how you take falls and all that. So that was just my sure. dream. I mean, my whole life, um, this is even up until I was about probably 20 years old. 
Um, And I thought that's what I was doing. Super random. When I was at college, uh, in college at Georgia Southern University down in Statesboro, Georgia, one of the professors there was a stuntman like in the 80s in all the Schwarzenegger movies. And I got connected to him through another friend. And he was kind of just connecting me with some people out in L.A. um, that were stuntmen. And I had it all planned to move to L.A. As soon as I got out of college, I was going to be a stuntman or I was going to die trying, no pun intended. Um, (laughs) And then, man, me and a buddy just started tinkering around, learn how to play guitar. And I just literally like tapped the brakes and started a band in college with one of my best friends or actually two of my best friends and music just got a hold of me. And everything I thought that I wanted to do up to that point changed in a matter of months when I was probably 20 ish around there. And I just fell in love with music and I started writing terrible songs when i was in college for my friends that they thought were fantastic but they were not fantastic and uh i just that i got the music bug man and i knew i want to do that for a living if i could that's really interesting so uh i guess first what were you in what were you studying in school in college which time i changed majors a Ah. lot Uh, (laughs) man i was in building construction because my father uh, is an engineer and a contractor my brother's a contractor and so it was you know i was like okay i can have a fallback plan and i can learn construction and all that and i figured out i hated that and uh man i ended up going into business management um and got a degree like in marketing emphasis in marketing and advertising and truthfully i've never had like a real job so i feel bad for my parents they put me through college but I've never had like a job where you have normal hours. Like I did the whole waiting tables. I had, I I had tons of odd jobs trying to make it music for years. So God bless them for putting me through college, but I'm not sure if I utilized it. Well, in a way you did. I mean, I I know what you're saying, like maybe not the degree, but I think uh, a lot of times when you're in college, you sort of have that, you know, period of discovery. It's what you think you're going to do when you go into it. And then for a lot of folks coming out, it's a a much different thing. And it could be an expensive discovery plan, you know, but uh, it sounds like that's what worked for you. You went in with, you know, these certain ideas in mind and you certainly had this uh, stunt um, passion that you uh, thought you were going to pursue, but then you kind of got into the music thing. So uh, am I hearing you right that like up until around when you were, I think you said you were around 20 in college, starting to tinker around with the guitar. Was music part of your life in any significant way before that? Or was that really like sort of the, the lightning bolt moment uh, at that, at that part of your life? I knew growing up, I loved country music. I was obsessed with country music. Like, after football practice, I'd come in and I would sit there and watch. I can't remember if it was GMC, GMC, CMT or GAC. We had both, but I would probably switch back and forth between the two and I would just watch music videos like all day long. And if any country artist came to my town, it was the biggest thing in the world. We were going to go, you know, hell or high water, we were going to be at that show. And we'd always sit around guitars on the weekends with buddies and we'd camp out and we'd sing country songs um, around campfires. You know, the, the stuff that people think are cliche that we put into songs like riding dirt roads and singing songs on drop tailgates. That's what we did. And that's how I learned that I really loved music, but I never really thought at that time, this is before we'd started a band, that that was even feasible because I didn't even pick up guitar until I was 19. Um, it was just always something fun we did. And stunts was just what I wanted to do. I mean, so I was a bouncer at a bar called Wooden Nickel in Statesboro. And this is a God's honest truth. I remember one night, um, after this, probably two or three in the morning after my shift was over, I wanted my buddy to hit me with his car. Cause my other buddies that I was bouncing with didn't <laughs> believe I knew how to get hit by a car. So I learned how to get hit by a car. You know, I can't remember how fast we're going. It was fast enough to not feel good. But that one particular night, I don't, I won't ever forget it because I was trying to show everybody how cool I was and how I was going to be a stunt man. And he hit me, but I went right through that windshield and oh my God. it, 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 it did look cool, but it was an expensive mess up. 
but so while I was working as a bouncer, um, I was also the nights I wasn't working the door, my band was playing in the same bar. So I was kind of like still kind of floating this line between, Hey, I still want to go to LA. I love, but I love playing in bars and I love writing music. Um, and it was and really it hurts a lot less. Yeah, it definitely <laughs> it's, hurts a lot, it's a lot less. less physical pain involved. Yeah, and girls didn't think the stunt stuff is quite as cool as playing guitar was. So that was a, that was a, a factor too. But honestly, it was it was really when I was I guess I was twenty one. I met a guy that had a mobile recording studio and a trailer that he pulled around. And I remember driving to wherever location he was out to record a demo, whatever that was. It, you know, at that time I, I thought it was recording a record, but it's pretty much just a demo. And I remember him telling me that he had moved years ago to Nashville. And, you know, he had a family and certain circumstances happened. Got him Jim Bickerstaff. I mean, changed my life. This guy did because he gave me one piece of advice. He said, man, if you really think you have what it takes to be a writer and if you really think you can do this, he said, get out of the bars that you're playing at where I was. He's like, and move to Nashville and it's going to take a lot of years, but sit and watch and learn the people that are the fantastic writers you've grown up loving go see them in person and study what they do and just immerse yourself in that culture and never have a plan B never leave. He said, and it'll happen. And I was like, sure. That was the day I recall my parents. I was like, I'm moving to Nashville. I graduate in six months and I'm going to Nashville. And uh, that was the tur- like a big turning point for me was that guy telling me that. That's really interesting. So let me dig into that just a little bit. Cause you're, you're, you're in a, first of all, what was the name of the band? Uh, well, we had multiple names. I think our first name was on tap because we thought it was cool that it was about beer, which is super cornbread. But you know, you're <laughs> hey, like man. when you're like 20 or 19, you're like, yeah, it's cool, bro. But it, <laughs> yeah, so we we had multiple names, but that was our first band name. Okay, I'll go with that. So you're performing and, and all this. Uh, I'm just kind of wondering. Not a lot of folks, a lot of, a lot of people that kind of get into the thing. Hey, I'm going to go on stage. Hey, I'm going to play this these songs and things like that. They're kind of focused on the performance and the on the on stage and the playing and that kind of stuff. Maybe less so on the actual writing their own material and things like that. Now you're telling us a story about this guy who told you, you know, go to Nashville and start writing. So I'm just kind of wondering how you got to that, you know, where you were in your in your in your headspace, I guess, where the understanding that writing the music was um, as important, if not, and as it turns out, maybe even more important than just perform it on the stage. You, you see what I'm saying? Like a lot of people get yeah, wrapped up in that performance component as opposed to the work done behind the scenes. So can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. I learned really quick that it's a lot easier to win a crowd over with a song they already know, for sure. But when you give people original music that means something to you and you can translate it and it ends up meaning something to them, um, and they'll take the time to invest and listen in the to stuff you've recorded and stuff you put out. Then when you go play those songs out of the show, it's so much more re- rewarding for you. But it's also, I think, more rewarding for the people you're playing to because they're getting a little piece of you versus just singing a song that every other band in the Southeast has been playing for 15 years. Um, and so when I discovered, again, my first five-song little record, I mean, I'm proud of it because it didn't cost that much money. Now, it would never, none of that stuff I wrote would ever be on radio. It was, it was more like, you know, college stuff you write for your buddies, but I am proud of it. Um, but that really opened my eyes to like original music that people would take more interest and really um, put some time into you as a person as, and, a, and as an artist once you have original stuff out there. Interesting. Because I get, and I don't, you know, maybe I'm drawing too many parallels here, you tell me, but I just found it interesting that of the two things we're talking about, right? At first, we were talking about your interest in maybe going to LA for Hollywood. 
and then you you know instead you wind up going to Nashville and you're song and you're you know a songwriter. And in both cases, you know it's it, it's interesting that instead of wanting to go to Hollywood to be an actor, you wanted to be a stuntman, which is more of this what I would, for lack of a better term, behind the scenes role, like not 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 yes. the actor with the name, but the person behind the scenes. And the same yeah. thing with music, you know, you, you weren't as much as. Um, concerned about perhaps being the guy on the stage necessarily as the one writing the songs. And I'm just kind of wondering right. if that's a, if that's just a coincidence or if there's some kind of a theme behind that. I think I'm, I, I'm made for a supporting role. Does that make sense? Just in life. And I, and I, I don't mean that, you know, negatively at all. I, don't I mean, think it's that's, negative at all. Yeah. I'm more comfortable <laughs> with that, man. I, I, that's why I love writing. I love producing. Um, I, I, I really get joy out of that supporting role and less being like a uh, focus. Like I, the artist life is really hard. And now that I'm, you know, a little bit older and I've got, you know, an eight year old and a 10 year old and a wife. And, you know, I just, you know, I look at the artist friends of mine that are on the road all the time. They, it's a massive sacrifice for them and their families to be out on the road. And I realized pretty quickly on that, you know, I'm not really cut out to, to make that kind of sacrifice because I want to spend more time with my wife and kids and it really gives me the opportunity to do that just being a songwriter. And then we also get to, you know, hear our songs on the radio, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, there is something because I, I, I would say that not that it's matters for most people listening, but uh, I'm kind of the same way. And it's just, there's always like that nice, it's almost like that little insight secret. You hear that song on the radio and you're in the bar and everyone's like listening to the thing and you're, and you're you, you sit there and you have the knowledge that you wrote that song. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, it's cool. Like, there's, like a, there's a certain thing to that that I think is kind of cool. Um, <clears throat> okay, so uh, one big turning point was uh, talking to this uh, to the guy who had their mobile recording studio and giving you the advice to go to Nashville. You graduate yeah. college, you go to Nashville. So, you know, there's movies about this, right? You know, guy comes yeah. to Nashville off the bus with a guitar in hand, there could be a songwriter, <laughs> all that kind of thing, you know? So, like, yeah. uh, how, how, did that, how did that transition initially work for you? I mean, was it like Dude, right away started it, writing or like, what was the deal? Yes. So literally the first weekend I moved into town, I guess I came in town either on a Thursday or Friday. I remember it was in, I think it was May 25th in 2000, if I remember correctly. And that may have been Thursday or Friday. I remember going to a place called Douglas Corner Cafe, which is just, you know, one of those spots you just hear about when you don't even live there. It's kind of like the bluebird. It's just, everybody knows about Douglas Corner and I went there and I waited till midnight because at midnight they had an open um, songwriters night. You know, they had the writers booked up until midnight. Then at midnight, you know, anybody with a guitar that had been sitting there all night and signed up could play their song. So I got up there and, you know, at midnight and there's literally the sound, the guy that's running sound is a guy named Mervyn Luke who also owns it. And there was one other guy in, in the crowd. And I remember playing there at, 12 something to one person, but I was so happy because like, it was, I was like, man, I'm playing a song in a little club in Nashville. This is really happening. And I mean, for the next gosh, handful of years, I was at writer's nights, three and four nights a week. Um, and a lot of nights I wouldn't even be playing. I was watching guys like, uh, Tony Lane. And, uh, there's some guys like Reese Wilton, these, these writers that have been around forever. But Tony Lane is an example is one of my favorite writers of all time. Um, and uh, I would sit and just kind of listen on the nights I wasn't writing and see what these guys were doing and just really kind of like soak in just their art and realize, oh, my Lord, I have a long way to go if I'm going to be a uh, successful songwriter in town. What were you doing uh, outside of that? I mean, you just odd jobs and such? 
man, I worked as a waiter at Olive Garden and <laughs> it was awful, man. I mean, it was, it was awful. I, I remember I made on a good day, I'd make $55 working a day shift. I remember I had my butt. This is honest truth. I was so broke. My budget was, I think it was it's 35 or 40 bucks a week on groceries. And I, I dude, I had it down to a science. I remember on my, I didn't have enough money to go out to eat ever, but I remember on my birthday, my first year I was here, I took myself to Subway and I got like a foot long. This is honest God truth. I was so freaking broke, man. I ran out of gas so many times trying to get to work. Uh, there's a little gas station right there. I'd be on fumes coasting in there. I just, I'd put in $5 at a time, but I was so happy, man. It was like the struggle is some of the best part, man, of that because you're struggling with your friends that are also, you know, working crummy jobs. And then you're writing at night. Um, you're playing writers nights and night. And it's an awesome time in life, man. You know, you don't realize how bad you're struggling then to look back because there's that pursuit, man, is so much fun. That's really interesting. It's like, and it, and it kind of reinforces the drive and the dream, I would imagine, to a certain extent. That's like, mm -hmm. I'm struggling to do this. So it means I'm going to, you know, I'm sacrificing to make this effort to be a songwriter. And it may not be happening immediately. And I got to do some work to make it happen. Right. But, I, you know, if I don't do the work, then the struggle is pointless. Yeah. And if you give up, I mean, because I mean, I've seen so many friends. Um, they move here and after, you know, six months or two years or three years, it hasn't happened and they move home and they're like, man, gosh, sometimes I was like, you just got to wait it out, man, for your time. Um, the best advice I ever got was from that guy, Jim Bickerstaff. He's like, move there and never leave. He's like, it's going to take a long time. Now I had no idea it was going to take as long as it did. Um, I was pretty convinced. So I was like, well, man, I'll be there about, you know, maybe six months or a year. I'll get a publishing deal. You know, maybe they'll sign me for a record deal because they see how great I am. You know, just you, you just you're so you just have no idea when you're growing up in this little town, the level of talent that's in Nashville or in, and I would say L.A. as well in New York. I've, I've never written out there, but obviously the talent out there is insane as well. But for what I do, um, dude, there's thousands of songwriters here that are amazing, but only probably a few hundred are, actually have publishing deals. And out of that few hundred, there's such a small percentage that actually make a, you know, a, a decent living writing songs. Um, but the, the competition bar is so high, but you really don't realize that till you come here and you start, you know, writing songs every day and then hearing the songs that other people are writing, you're like, Oh my Lord, uh, I've got to get better fast. That's really interesting. So let's, you know, let's, let's talk about that. how, how long did it take and what was the, the turning point, I guess. And there, and there, and if there was like a couple little steps along the way, you know, obviously feel free to, to, to break it down for me, but sure. you know, you got there, you, you thought, you thought six months, how, how long was it until you actually feel like it, it, it broke through the big breaks? <laughs> okay. My big break, uh, is a two part and they're multiple <clears throat> years apart. So okay. when I first moved to town, I met with somebody at BMI because that's what you do when you move to town. You go get a PRO, uh, which is anybody in the world can sign up at BMI or ASCAP or whatever. And the guy told me, he's like, hey, this is a 10-year town. You probably won't get your first big cut for 10 years. And this is like in 2000. I was like, oh, man. I was like, you know what you're talking about. I didn't say this to him because I don't want to be disrespectful. But in my brain, I was like, nah, this guy didn't know he's talking about, man. I was like, few years max, I'll you know have a big song or something, but honest to gosh, dude, it was literally 10 years. It was 2010. Uh, when I got my first big cut with Jason Aldean, it was my first cut ever. Uh, me and a guy named Jaron Boyer and then Thomas Rhett, who Thomas Rhett, the massive mega artist. This was before Thomas had his record deal and all that. He was still in college. 
And um, me and Jaron and Thomas read, it was our first write. And uh, we'd been writing probably about three hours or more and started about two or three different songs, but none of them really moved us. We were like, yeah, this is cool, but we're not really feeling anything. And then probably at about three or four o'clock, man, I can't remember who threw out the first line. as either Jaron or Thomas, but we started writing a song called I Ain't Ready to Quit. And it wrote itself in about an hour, hour and a half. And we thought after we'd done it, we're like, man, this is really cool. We think we have something special here because it you know speaks to us and you know and how we grew up and people we knew but man it, it was crazy um literally a week later uh thomas Rhett put it on a, a a demo session so back in 2010 people still you know booked a studio and go and record like four or five songs every few months we do it different now but anyway and literally i think it was a week and a half from that i got a call while i was working out from my publisher and i remember i had a heart attack he said hey Jason Aldean just cut your song on his record. And going from a guy that had been in town for 10 years with no love, just getting told no for years and years and years and years, and then your first cut is going to be on Jason Aldean's record. I mean, I about lost it, man. It, it was crazy. And this was all three of our first cut. And, you know, me and Jaron had been writing together for about seven years by then. Um, so it'd been a lot of years in the making. Um, and, and that was a big moment for Thomas Rhett too, because he not long after that signed his record deal. And I think the world of that dude, just a great person, a great human and a great representative, uh, for country music, but it was cool watching his career take off after that as well. As a growing artist or songwriter, keeping royalties coming in is important for keeping the bills paid. It's also important to keep an eye on those royalty payments. A lot of people we worked with here at Royalty Exchange were having a tough time making sense of the royalties they were getting paid. So we built a free tool called Know Your Worth that automatically analyzes every royalty payment made on your music. It breaks it all down in an easy to understand analysis with some insights that would be impossible to find elsewhere. Plus, it connects you with the thousands of investors on Royalty Exchange and allows them to make you offers on your music. So far, musicians have raised over a million dollars for new projects, new ventures, and a whole lot of other things just through the Know Your Worth app. If you're earning royalties, you should be keeping track of them, and Know Your Worth makes it easy. It only takes about three minutes to connect an account, and the tool will automatically update over time. Just visit worth.royaltyexchange.com or find the link in the show notes to get started. Now, let's get back to the interview. That's interesting, but let me just take a quick step back for a second. You, you, you mentioned your publisher. Now you had a publisher, even you hadn't had any cuts yet, but you've had you had a publisher. When did that? Well, I mean, it seems like an important step. Okay, so I probably misspoke there. It was my future publisher. Okay. So I actually, when that got cut, I didn't have a publishing deal yet. Ah. So I'd been I'd been writing. Uh, You've been writing in Nashville for ten years. No cuts. No, pub, no publisher. Yeah. Wow. No, dude. It was it was a Sahara, dude. It was a desert. I mean, it was like. <laughs> Here's the thing, dude. God, God kept on giving little carrots in front of me, dangling to keep me going. Just little things that were encouraging. Um, but no, I had no pub deal. It took me ten years to get to sign a legit pub deal, um, and that's ten years of like working, you know, working jobs that weren't the greatest sometimes, and struggling, and not having any money, and um, but just still loving the struggle, but just not giving up. And um, so I was, I had been writing at a company called Bug Music. Um, ah, yeah. I wasn't signed there, but my best friend, Jaron Boyer had signed a publishing deal, a guy named David Corlew. 
had signed him. David Corlew is who managed Charlie. Charlie Daniels just passed last uh-huh. week, and David uh-huh. Corlew had been Charlie's manager uh, uh, um, for um, since the seventies. So David signed us, signed Jaron to a publishing deal. Excuse me, and he ended up signing me to a publishing deal. But it was after I had this Jason Aldean cut. So what that cut did for me was gave me a whole lot of bargaining power when I went to sign my publishing deal. So that was a huge blessing for me and my family because what I ended up doing, I didn't include that song in my publishing deal. I told him, I was like, hey, if y'all really want me as a writer, because I've been writing there, they've been basically trying me out for, gosh, probably a year of me writing every Friday with Jaron and like, you know, during the week with their other writers. I was basically trying to have to prove myself to bug that I didn't suck. And in that process, we got this big cut. And uh, I remember going in to meet with John Allen, who was running Bug at the time. And I was like, hey, I was like, if y'all really do want me, then you're going to want me with or without this song. So I was like, I'm going to keep this Jason Aldean song myself because I think it'll do something awesome and could be a huge blessing to my family. But if you still want me to write, let's do a deal. And John gave me an amazing first publishing deal. And a lot of first publishing deals aren't that great. Mine was awesome. And I'm very thankful to John and to Bug and to David Corlew for you know, not taking advantage of a guy that had never had a pub deal before. That's really interesting. I, I like that, I, that that idea that you were negotiating with with something to your benefit. You were negotiating for yeah. at, at least a, a modicum of power and control, which is unusual. Or at least yeah. you recognize that you had it, which is even more unusual, I think, because most people would just grab it. I mean, 10 years, yeah. nothing. You, you finally <laughs> negotiation for a publishing deal, and you're playing hardball. I mean, where do you get the stones for that, man? That's awesome, you know? Dude, I, I was just, I remember talking to my wife, and I was like, I'm, I, I'm, I don't ever, I want everybody to be successful. Like, and, 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 and I'm a big fan of that. Like, I'm not one of those dudes that try to like hardball. Like, I just signed a new pub deal recently. And I love the published company, Matt, but neither of us play hardball because if, if, if I'm successful, I want them to be successful. If they're successful, I want to be successful. So if everybody's happy, that's awesome. I basically looked at it as like, man, I've been in town for so long. This is could potentially be a one-time event because every single cut you get is basically um, like scratching a lottery ticket while getting struck by lightning. It's so hard. So I, you know, you never know if you're going to get another one. So it's like, hey, if I'm wise and I'm thinking of my family – I'm going to keep this to the side and hope that this company will still want to sign me. It was a risk because they could have said, you know what, dude, you're one in a, a million people out there that, that we could sign, but they didn't, man. They, they gave me an opportunity and I was, and I know I'd been in town for 10 years. Um, but this is the honest truth. I was still really green when it came to writing at the level of what signed writers write at. I was not used to writing five times a week. I was writing, once and twice a week, you know, when I could, because I was still working these other odd jobs. Um, so that was really the beginning of my real uh, getting thrown into the fire education of how uh, songwriting as a professional works. Um, and I, again, I've been in town 10, 10 years and I've been writing a ton, but for me, it was like the second level of my education on writing was getting thrown into these writing rooms and say, Hey, you've got four or five rights this week. So for the next year, four or five days a week, I need you to come up with something that sounds like a hit. And that took some getting used to and, you know, and all that. And so a lot of prayer before co-writes and all that. But um, that was part one of my big break because that opened up the door for me to sign my publishing deal, which opened up the door for other opportunities that were to come uh, years later. All right. So let's talk about part two. (laughs) All right. So over those next years, um, that that record went on to sell like four million copies. It was such a blessing. I'm so proud of that song. That song wasn't a single, but. Though, that, since records still sold back then, Mechanicals <laughs> alone 
did really well. And that was such a massive. So Michael Knox is Jason's producer, Aldine's producer. Knox and I have become buddies over the years. And I just did his podcast recently. And I got a chance to finally tell him after all these years, dude, thank you. You changed my life 10 years ago with the cut on Jason's record. And I told him, you know, how we use the money, you know, getting a minivan. It helped pay for my son to be born because we didn't have insurance. So all those cool things, man. It's like I look back at that song and that's why it was such a big part of my break. Um, the second part was my first U.S. single. Um, and I say U.S. because we'd had some stuff on Canadian radio after that. But it took another six years after that Jason Aldean cut for me to get a song on U.S. radio. And you think when you get that first big cut, or at least I did, I was like, okay, now the floodgates are going to open. I've been here 10 years. All these opportunities are going to roll in. And, and when I say they didn't, I didn't mean writing opportunities rolled in. But now even after the first big cut, it was just a whole nother level of having to prove yourself of like, was this a one-time event or can you actually write songs consistently that sound like hits? Um, and so for the next six years till 2000, I think it was 2016, um, there's a band called high Valley and, um, mm-hmm. they had a song. We put, put out a song called make you mind that I'd written with Brad. who's a lead singer. So rewind there, Brad and I had met probably 2012 and I just really believed in that band. And at the time, they were this Canadian duo that was down in Nashville trying to get signed to a major record deal, which they already had the cards stacked against them. Because at that time, if you're a Canadian and you're a Canadian country singer, it was like Nashville had this aversion to you. And I remember just really believing in those guys. And I found this, and I found that me and Brad really clicked and our families did. And so Brad and I just started writing a ton. And so I found this artist that like we put years in um, together before we had that first single on us radio. Um, but in 2016, Warner put it out and the song, it was on the charts for 57 weeks and was just, a you know, it, I think it went to 15. Um, but it was a, its impact was so huge because it'd been on the radio for so long. That was my first big us single. And so I just, I look at guys that have, um, and when I, since then I've had, uh, I had their second us single and we have their current single that's, crushing it on spotify right now and is going to radio i think end of next month which i'm so excited about song i grew up on that so that all being said you know if you're a new writer in town or you're a writer that's been around in town there's a lot of guys that you know look at the artists they were connected with and they came up with that artist and i've been so blessed to come up with high valley as they've become successful and had more and more singles that relationship we built writing songs for years when nobody cared um, that transitioned into now I get to be one of the go-to guys for, for those guys when they're looking for songs to write. And so for, for up and coming writers, find that artist that you love. So in the middle of writing all these songs for, you know, everybody else, if you can find an artist you believe into, uh, believe in, excuse me, and put the time into, um, that could be potentially the massive big break you're looking for. And it may not happen for years. I look at Luke Combs, uh, my buddy Ray Fulcher and some of the guys that have gotten these cuts on Luke's record. These are just a bunch of buddies that wrote with Luke and really believed in him and stuck with him. And he in turn stuck with these guys. Now that he's like the biggest country artist in the world, these guys and a lot of the guys didn't have pub deals on the first record. These were just Luke's friends that he believed in and they believed in him. So find that dude or girl that you believe in and put some time into them because your, your break could be attached to their break as well. That's interesting. That's really interesting. Those are some great stories, man. I, I want to go back and ask you one other thing, though. You mentioned sure. uh, just prior to the first to, to Big Break Part One, 
right? Yeah. You, you know, you you know, 10 years, Sahara, the whole nine. But you mentioned there were some carrots that kind of kept you going along the way. Can you talk a little bit about what those carrots were and how you reckon, you know, how, how that kept, how they sustained you, I guess, through that? Yeah, through for that, sure. Uh, um, I'll, I'll give you a condensed version. I, so yeah. I've been doing Riders Nights um, at this place called The Broken Spoke right outside of Nashville for years. And I'd met a guy named Ted Moxley. And it became my best friend. And we started a duo, just kind of writing duo, but also, hey, man, maybe we could do like an artist thing, too, while we're writing. Um, randomly, uh, through Georgia Southern as well, the college I went to, there was a guy named Tony Arada that went to Georgia Southern as well years and years and years ago. And he wrote that Garth Brooks song, The Dance, which is like the biggest song of all times. So somehow Tony's niece, actually, it was Tony's niece that went to Georgia Southern. Somehow his niece heard my little crummy CD that I'd done when I was in college, sent it to her uncle. Her uncle got connected to me. And then Tony, I remember Tony Arata called me one night, the guy that wrote the dance when I was literally fixing to go on stage at the Broken Spoke to play, you know, some song we'd written. And he's like, hey, I want to connect you with a guy named Matt Lindsay, who's my publisher. And so we got connected through Tony to a guy named Matt Lindsay. Well, we ended up quote unquote writing for Matt for about a year. Now here's the truth. We never signed a deal. We never, you know, we never took any money from him. We, it was just a, it was a basically a trial thing of like, Hey, I'll try to connect you guys with some rights, but you know, we're not, there wasn't a published deal sign that we weren't making any money, but we still thought it was the greatest thing ever that, Hey, we're connected to Tony somehow we're getting to write some songs. So that was a carrot. It, it, it didn't end up turning in anything, but it still kept us going. Um, we randomly got connected with a record label called Dreamcatcher. that, uh, it was Kenny Rogers label. Um, so this is, sorry, not to con confuse the story even more. <laughs> One of my jobs that I took when I was, as I was, you know, trying to make it as a writer, um, I was a strength coach at a private girls school in Nashville called Harpeth Hall. Um, that was, again, I was a waiter. I had a car detailing company. I would detail cars at the record labels. And then I also got my personal training license and I was strength coaching at a school. And uh, one of the girls' dads was a producer and she happened to have just, you know, one of the girls asked for some of my music one time and they were really sweet. It was a girl named Whitney Downs and her dad was a guy named Cliff Downs, producer in town. Anyway, long story short, she gave him my CD. Um, he ended up contacting me. He's like, you guys sound great. Super random. He's like, I have friends that are managers that are with Dreamcatcher Records, Kenny Rogers label. They heard it. They love it. They want to meet you. I, all these little things, man, that just, that's how this life works, man. Like God's little, little random roads that you think are roads are this little network that is woven into your life that when you look back on it, you look at every little decision you made and you look at, see how it all connected and got you to where you are today. So super exactly. random again, another carrot. We ended up working on Dreamcatcher Records. We put a little single out on radio called 19, like debuted on Billboard. This is super random, dude, like at 48. And it died like at 49. It didn't, it really didn't do much, it was, but it still, it was another carrot. And it, each of these steps were like, felt like they were going to be successes. And, but then they turned into, and when I say failures, I don't mean that negatively, but they did, they did all these things ended up failing, but they still kept me going, uh, till the next step that God had in store. So not taking those chances and not failing, if I'd have just given up or not taking those chances, even though it sucked and hurt when they failed, it still got me to the next step. And that's the thing that led me into writing with some of the guys over at Bug Music. And so two years after that little, you know, semi-record deal failed, I just said, you know what, I'm just going to write for everybody else and stop trying to write for myself at all. And that's when the thing with Jason Aldean happened. So it's all these little steps, man, that connect.
That's interesting. I mean, that's that's why I wanted to bring it up because it's like ten years is a very long time to work on something. So you got to have those yeah. little zings of and the little taste, right? It may not be the full meal, but it's a taste yeah. that keeps you going a little bit. And I think that's that was important to to bring up, which kind of leads me to my last question. Sure. Which goes back to what we were talking about uh, at the beginning of our conversation, which is the you know the different ways that you can now work remotely, and uh, you know the, the internet that you've the you know, writing sessions and, and things like this. I'm kind of wondering. So much of what we've talked about over the course of this interview has been about those those little random connections made as as a result of being in Nashville and and you know working at a school where where a guy you know his daughter can get a CD to him and things like that. I guess what I'm wondering is if 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 this remote writing thing becomes more and more prevalent. Is the importance of being in certain um, hubs like Nashville or you mentioned before LA, New York, things like that? Are those things still important for someone trying to make a uh, a career out of this, or do you think that's going to become less so as the sort of distributed nature of of uh, collaboration becomes uh, more prevalent? I think proving yourself is still going to be necessary. Um, you know, I, I, there's so much you can look on, you know, Instagram or YouTube or whatever. And I, I scour it sometimes just looking at the level of talent on there, which is insane. I mean, um, there's people on there that just blow my mind how good they sing. Um, there's people in town that blow my mind on how good they sing and how good they write. Unfortunately, that doesn't always translate into success. I wish there was like a rhyme or reason for success. Some of the best singers in the world that I've heard here in town probably will never be on the radio. And I don't know why, but that's just one of those things. It's just how it is. Um, I, I do think as far as like landing a publishing deal and stuff like that, you still have to be able to prove yourself consistently before a publisher will sign you. And a lot of that still does need to happen in town because you still need these relationships. It's such a, at least our town is such a relationship town. And for me, that's why it took a lot of years because it takes a lot of years to make genuine relationships. Um, so, you know, I still, you know, friends of mine that are still, you know, seeking, I've got a couple of friends that are really talented, but don't have publishing deals yet. Um, but they're in the process of writing with publishing companies, writers to prove themselves. Um, now, if you're an artist, I don't know if it's as necessary because, you know, publishing companies, record labels, um, they do look online a lot for talent. Um, even back in like 2012, when that was still a fairly new thing, as far as like people starting to look for talent, I remember my publisher um, was, they were looking consistently on YouTube um, for artists. And I, Michael Knox, I know he spent tons of time um, looking for artists, you know, even back then on YouTube and what are the, whatever platforms were back then. So I, I think people can get their music out there a lot easier this way for sure but I still think there needs to be some relationship if that makes sense. It does make sense. It does make sense. I had to ask because I was just, uh, kind of curious about it basically. So, yeah. Um, I mean, right, unless so you're, the- unless you're, unless you're down in South Georgia or wherever in your place and you're selling a thousand, you know, a thousand seat places a night, um, then you're going to get the attention of labels and publishers and you don't have to be here. They'll ask you to come here. And I've seen that. Sure. So on the flip side, I've seen that happen a bunch recently, man, it's like guys that build up these followings and I say the Southeast cause that's what I'm closest to. So I don't know what else goes on around, you know, the U S but they build these followings and they're selling, you know, hard tickets and 
They've got crazy like Spotify performance numbers. Streaming is insane. And then that's going to get the attention of the labels. But that's more on the artist side. I'd say on the writer side, it's still a little bit harder. And you still kind of, I would still recommend moving here just to see how it's all done. Yeah, as a writer, I mean, you're, you're already sort of lack a, a bit of exposure as it is anyway. So, you know, doing it in, yeah. you know, somewhere in Nebraska maybe isn't going to help. <laughs> it's it's really, it's really not, it's really, to me, like the biggest thing is just realizing the huge pond you're stepping in because yeah. really in your little town, you can be so talented, but until you kind of, and dude, I still, and dude, I've been here for, you know, gosh, 20 years now. And I still am blown away by my buddies that send me songs they've written. They'll send me songs they wrote that day that they're fired up about. And I'm still like, oh my Lord, the bar is so high, man. There's so many good songs in Nashville and just um, incredible jaw-dropping songs that I think that's the biggest part about being here is immersing yourself and realizing, you know, what in a good way, what you're up against because the level of talent is just insane. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, and, and here's the thing: like this, you're actually the first um, since I took over the podcast and started interviewing folks, the first Nashville songwriter that I've spoken to. And so this has been oh, okay. a really interesting conversation. No, it's really great. Like I, it's 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 a unique situation. Like I said, I've been there a number of times. I've kind of been at the you know the PRO events and kind of mingled and that kind of stuff. But I never really sure. had a chance to really ask a lot of questions. So this has been really informative for me personally. And I hope it's useful for other folks. Um, Let's wrap up with uh, like how do people how do people follow you? Right? Where are you? You know what? Where are you? Are you on socials? Are you online? How do people kind of keep Dude, up with what you're up to? I'm the worst man. I, <laughs> I'm I'm on Instagram because my publisher wants me on there. <laughs> this this is it's just Ben Stennis at Ben Stennis B E N S T E N N I S. Here's the honest uh-huh. truth: I post rarely. I post when I have a song coming out on a record or coming out on the radio because I'm I'm always proud of that. Um, the truth, not, and this is nothing against all that, man, (laughs) when I'm on Instagram and the reason I don't stay on there is because it makes me feel really less about myself. I don't feel better (laughs) about myself when I'm on Instagram and it brings out things in me that I don't like, not trying to get too deep here, but you can, you can have just had, uh, you know, an amazing song come out on a record. You're going to get on Instagram and see that you're, you know, someone else is at a number one. And here, your natural human tendency is to start being a little envious. And that's a thing I don't like to see in myself. And you start playing the comparison game. So I know it's incredibly important, but luckily I'm just a songwriter and I'm not an artist and it's not that important. So I don't know. That's just my little thing of like, just focus on how blessed you are personally and don't compare your road to someone else's because God's road for all of us are so different, and the comparison game is such a losing game every single time. Well, you know, amen to that. That's all I got to say. I, I agree with you 100%. I'm more of a browser than a poster myself, so I, I totally get it. Um, and I feel like a tool bag every time I post, either way. <laughs> but what's what's next? I mean, what, what do you got coming? Anything you want to um, highlight, promote in terms of what's next? I think you mentioned you had a single coming out. Yeah, so High Valley, we've got their new single, Grew Up on That. It's doing amazing on Spotify. John Marks, like, hooked it up man is really like just put it on amazing playlists hot country is killing it warner records is crazy behind it and so it's july right now i think we're going to get something in august or early september and so i'm just so excited man i love these guys and we've got some great stuff coming up too we just got some stuff uh cody johnson's cut one of our songs and uh dylan scott and so i'm just saying that because hopefully those people will hear this and feel like they need to put my song out of the radio they cut no, I'm just but no <laughs> I, i'm excited man dude any day we can write and and be able to provide for our families doing what we love is such a 
blessed thing. And every time we get a cut or a single, it's just a little miracle. And I'm crazy thankful anytime that happens. Well, uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you, man. It's really been interesting to hear everything uh, you had to say and, and listen to your story. And I hope others get some, uh, not only inspiration, but also some some education out of it. So thank you very much for spending time with us today. Hey, man, thank you so much for uh, having me on, dude. And thank you for Roll the Exchange, everything you guys do as well, man. Game changers. Right. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. To keep up with Ben and his new releases, you can follow his social media profiles linked below. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. Until then, take care.